Living a life of intention starts within. Dora and I are excited to help you find the path to co-mindfulness living through our co-mindfulness masterclass. Our seven co-mindfulness principles will take you on a remarkable path towards health and happiness. For more information and to sign up for the masterclass, visit comindfulnessproject.com. People are yearning for information. Having the opportunity to encourage people and to educate people and inspire people. It's amazing to be able to say we'll carve out time to take care of ourselves. There's something for everyone. Hi, I'm Doro, and Trisha and I are so excited to share an exclusive episode on Health Gig from our 2020 Co-Mindfulness Virtual Summit. Our 2020 Co-Mindfulness Summit was packed with information from world-leading health and lifestyle experts. In this episode, we're excited to share Kristen Kirkpatrick's presentation on the importance of having a proper diet and tips on how to lose weight. During this pandemic, it's important to remember we are what we eat. Hey, everybody. Welcome. I am so excited to be here today to present to you at the Co-Mindfulness Summit. Now, usually I'm standing on stage at Georgetown University and doing this, but I oftentimes say that we have to look for small blessings in life. That's what this conference is all about. So there is a blessing in the sense that perhaps so many more people can attend this year because you don't have to travel to DC to do it. And we have amazing speakers. So I'm just so honored to be part of that and part of this group. So I'm going to talk to you today about something that I see both in my patients and within my own personal struggles with weight throughout the years. And that is how do you lose those last 10 pounds? Why is it not coming off? Why are there these difficulties? The first 30, 50, 100, whatever, it was easy. Why not the last 10? So there's actually a lot of data on why that occurs. So I'm going to get into a little bit of some of the reasons why you may be experiencing that and hopefully give you some tips on how you can combat that. Like every presentation I've done, though, I always start with some new data, new studies out in the world. And I just thought it was timely to talk about some of the data that we're seeing on COVID. What we are seeing here is that individuals that are overweight or obese are more likely to get COVID and they're less likely to recover well from it. The real importance here is that scientists think that there is some sort of connection between inflammation that can occur with overweight and obesity and not being able to recover from COVID-19 symptoms. So the presentation title we have today is Losing Weight and the Fact that You Must Lose Weight. And at first, when I saw that title, I thought, well, is that too direct? Is that telling people like, no one wants to hear, hey, you must lose weight. And I'm still not saying that. But what I'm trying to convey here is that if there's ever a time to consider this, it is now. If you've ever wanted to lose weight, it is now. Because we know that it is directly tied based on this data to poor outcomes with this new pandemic. The other thing we're also seeing is a challenge with our youth. Now I've noticed as a mom who's homeschooling that my kids are on screens way too much and I'm trying to get them off those screens, but it's not always the easiest to do. So there is some data showing that there is some risk of higher obesity rates occurring because of COVID-19 as well in children. So not only hopefully does this presentation help you with yourself, but also with the kids that perhaps you're watching over, your own kids, your grandchildren, whatever the case may be. The last study I want to share is just an interesting one. And you probably are saying, well, this isn't about COVID, but in some ways it is. We know that moderate drinking may have some benefits, but we've had some data lately that is showing that there could be some harms as well. 
Now, how is moderate defined? Moderate is defined as seven to 13 drinks per week. So if you're having just one glass of wine every night, that would be considered moderate drinking. The sales of alcohol have gone up since COVID has occurred by almost 150%. We are drinking more. There is plenty of data to show that. So in addition to everything else I'll talk about today, think about that one of the biggest things that could be really hindering your weight loss efforts today could be that perhaps you've started drinking more than usual because of COVID. We've seen a lot of data with that. All right. The diet industry provides an industry that forces us to look into perfection, which is the first step in why we fail. Most diets are about deprivation. So that sad look between the donut and the salad and the donut and the apple and what do I choose? Or they are giving you unrealistic expectations and I'm going to talk about all of these versus what reality is, or there's some sort of quick fix. Hey, there's a pill you can take, or there's something you can do to make sure that when you're dieting, it's going to work for you, right? Diets often fail. And that's because anything that asks you to make those decisions, restrict food, have things you don't like anymore. We have seen plenty of research showing that these things fail. So one out of five dieters, if you look at this in terms of the success rates, most dieters are there about three months, about a quarter people dieting are there about three months, and then they fall off the wagon. Most diets do result in weight gain. So ultimately you could lose weight, but it's short term. You get off it in three months, you get off it in five weeks, whatever the case may be, and you end up gaining weight. The other thing that we have seen in dieting is having this obsession with checking on some particular number. So I had a patient the other day and this patient said, well, this is actually someone who had lost weight and lost too much weight unexpectedly. And they said, well, I'm not sure where the weight is coming from. So typically when we step on a scale, what we see is all of our stuff. We see our water, our muscle mass. We see everything. We see our fat mass. There are better approaches to determining if you're actually losing weight. The scale tells you the stuff. It doesn't tell you if you're losing fat mass or if you're building muscle mass. So instead of the scale, here's going to be kind of the first tip. We need to look at other assessments for whether or not you're being successful at weight loss. I don't think the scale is a great option unless you get a smart scale that can break down the amount of fat mass that you might be losing your muscle mass, your water. There are a lot of smart scales out there now. They're ranging from about $20 to $50. So I think that if you can obtain one of those, then a scale might be worth it. If not, for ladies in the audience, your bra size is a great example of whether or not you're losing weight. So if you've gained a lot of weight, you might notice, oh, my bra's not fitting too well anymore. So I've noticed that. A tape measure. So this is, of course, everything here is about the waist. So it's not just about the number, it's about the waist and your jeans. I mean, we all have a pair of skinny jeans in the closet, okay? I'd be shocked if anyone's like, I don't, because I know I do, <laughs> right? And so that is oftentimes can be a better motivator than looking at a number that frankly is obscure and trying to reach a number. Getting back into something that didn't fit a few months ago or a few years ago is probably a little bit more realistic. A lot of us are also following old rules, right? So we see what our siblings did or our parents did or whatever the case may be, or we say what may have worked in the past. But again, if we look at the evidence, we know that there are a lot of these old rules that are making us gain weight. What are some of the things that I think people are doing that I see in my own patient base at the Cleveland Clinic? And we're going to go through these one by one. So number one, this rule of eating several meals a day. 
Why does that not necessarily work? Well, there's a few reasons. Number one is it kind of forces us to eat throughout the day, whether or not we're hungry or not. And I think a big component of being able to lose those last 10 pounds is really getting into the mindfulness of hunger. We oftentimes don't do that. We just kind of pick and choose and we have specific calories or whatever we're counting, but we don't always say, oh gosh, am I really hungry? Or I have to eat these small, small meals. So I'm eating the small meals. So instead I would say eat only eight hours a day. There is so much evidence now on time-restricted eating that shows that if you limit your consumption of food to eight hours a day, you're much more likely to have benefits in metabolic function and weight loss, specifically fat loss working out on an empty stomach. So in the past, you may have thought, well, I'm going to carb load and then I'm going to go out for my walk. But if we look at the latest studies in the past five years, we see that if you wake up in the morning and you exercise prior to consuming any calories, you tap more into your fat loss rather than tapping into glycogen. So that's another important factor to look at. And then I've already mentioned eating till you're no longer hungry, not until you're full. I say that every single year. It is a really hard thing to do. Think of all the reasons why you eat. They're not always because you're hungry. It could be emotion, could be stress. I know that a lot of my patients since COVID has occurred have been eating more and that is directly with stress. A lot of my patients have also been eating more at night. So if you're looking at this and saying, gosh, eight hours a day, ugh, I like having something at night. How do I combat that? Night eating is a real challenge. So let me tell you a few things you can do to try and limit night eating because night eating sometimes, if you just cut that out, you can lose those last 10 pounds, all right? Number one, drink less. Why drink less? Drink less because once you start having a drink, it's more likely that you will have a second and a third drink. The calories are massive in these drinks and you lose your inhibition. So you have a drink and all of a sudden some bread and butter during Dancing with the Stars sounds like a great idea, right? It's not, okay? So drink less is one thing. Set the fuel clock later. So if you're absolutely thinking, well, my family and I, we sit down late. My husband comes home late. My wife comes home late. The kids are doing sports and then we eat at 8.30. Then set that fuel clock later. Don't start eating at 10 a.m. Maybe you start eating at noon and that will be longer for your eight-hour time frame. Less food and more moves. So what does that mean? Obviously have less food later in the day, but get some excuses to have some sort of movement, right? So even if that's getting up and doing laundry or getting up and walking around the house or whatever it is to keep you out of the couch for hours upon hours, that can help with night eating because the couch often triggers night eating. And then no TV, watching something and wanting to have something to eat to enjoy it often go hand in hand. So if you can read a book, even anything you can do that gets away from the TV can really help with night eating. What about counting calories? Now there's a difference between counting calories and looking at calorie restriction. Okay. So I know that's a little confusing. I actually wrote a big article about it for my today show column, just kind of looking at these two factors. Counting calories is more about, okay, I'm on a 1200 calorie diet. And I don't really care how I get there. I just know I can't go over 1,200 calories. So we stop caring about the quality and we care only about the quantity, okay? And there's a few things. Number one, we have seen that it doesn't work. Instead of counting calories, if you want to count something, if this is your personality type, you might want to count macros. So you might want to count, okay, instead I'm going to count how many carbs I have per day, or I'm going to count how many grams of protein, but don't put it in the calorie perspective, because again, the quality of your food often goes down. And we've seen studies to show this. 
Use exercise, but you don't want to use exercise as an excuse to eat. There's been really mixed data on whether or not exercise actually helps with weight loss. And that might be shocking for some people that are watching this today, but we know that exercise increases appetite. It makes you eat more. So you don't want to exercise and then say, I exercised, I can add on some more calories because of it. It often doesn't work. Eating fiber. So again, if you want to count something, look at fiber. Fiber fills you up. Fiber is not digestible. The body doesn't know what the heck to do with it. And so because you're filled up, you're less likely to continue eating, right? When we have a feeling of even bloating, we could get a little bloated sometimes with a lot of fiber. You're not going to want to eat when you have that feeling. So that could be a good thing. And then use only supplements when your body is struggling to metabolize food. So sometimes this is found out during a nutrigenomics test. Sometimes you can see, well, you know, vitamin D isn't really well absorbed in terms of coming from food. I'm going to take it from a supplement. But my point here is don't count on supplements to be the factor that you need in order to be able to lose weight. This is a study that I found really interesting. So the continuous exposure to cafeteria diet leads to similar shifts in gut microbiota. So what does this study actually showing? So it was showing your gut microbiota and the importance that it plays in overall weight loss. Now, what we found is that for individuals that eat really well throughout the week, but then blow it out and don't eat well on the weekend, they have the same effect on their gut microbiota as someone that eats junk food seven days a week. Again, some people do well with a cheat day or a cheat weekend. Other people do not. If you want to factor in a cheat day or a cheat meal, I would encourage you to just use it for one meal, not a weekend, not a full day, because oftentimes it's hard to get back on track. It's even harder to get your gut microbiota on track. What else has been a little bit of faulty thinking here? Measuring everything. So not a lot of my patients do this, but I still have a few that do believe, well, I got to measure my oil and I got to measure these raisins that I'm putting on my oatmeal and the whole thing. So instead of measuring, I would say balancing your plate. So if you imagine what a plate looks like, you want that plate to have a lot of color coming from a lot of plants. And that should fill at least half the plate, if not three quarters, okay? You can add your fats to those plants. So if you have a salad, for example, and then a quarter should be your protein and maybe a little bit as some complex carbohydrates. So balancing your plate. I've already talked about eating till you're no longer hungry, not till you're full. So again, a really hard thing to do, but if you master that even for a short amount of time, so you can master that most days of the week, you'll be much more successful at weight loss. And then practicing intuitive eating. Intuitive eating has actually blown up lately, specifically looking at the effects of intuitive eating on dieting and self-esteem. So there's some really interesting data. What about exercise? So I've already talked about exercise a little bit. So you're either not exercising or you're exercising too much. We have seen in the research that both of these things can really factor into not being able to lose those last 10 pounds. Again, this might be something that you're looking at and saying, what are you talking about? We have to exercise. And I agree with you 100%. We should exercise. Exercise has cardiovascular benefits. It has benefits to our mental health. It has benefits in the prevention of certain cancers, specifically breast cancer and ovarian cancer in women. So exercise is a really huge component, but it has not been shown in the data to be the main components that we should focus on in terms of weight loss. What has been shown in the data? If you are able to lose weight and you're able to keep your weight off, 
exercise helps with keeping that weight off and not regaining lost weight. I've had so many patients come into my office and I'll say, what is your number one goal? And it would be someone who might be uh, 40 years old, maybe my age, 44, maybe 60, 65, whatever the case may be. And that goal is, I want to get back into my high school genes, okay? Our body changes dramatically throughout the years, whether we like it or not. And it's more specific and more dramatic for women. We lose muscle mass every decade of life after we get out of our 20s. So not to say you can't look great. You can. But when your goal is, I want to get into my high school genes, you are starting with that unattainable approach of something that you may never reach. And if you don't reach it, you might go back to bad habits. I've seen this firsthand in my patients. I've seen it with dozens of them. They can't get to that high school gene quota. And so they give up. All right, this is never going to happen. So instead, I would encourage you to think about listening more to your body and trying to interpret, okay, I'm going to listen to my body. I'm going to decide what is right for me. And it might not be those high school genes, right? Our body has changed. We have to change along with it and focus on health and focus on what's going to be natural. Let's get a little bit into intuitive eating as well. So this is a concept, as I had said, that has come really into a lot of attention in the past few months, most likely because of the fact that COVID has kind of brought out some ugly monsters in terms of food. I've seen more binge eating. I've seen more dramatic dieting because of this. So there's a lot of things going on that we are seeing with all the factors with this. But what is intuitive eating? Well, intuitive eating is basically a manner in which we become more mindful in our structure behind food. So it's about making peace with food. I was mentioning to someone earlier today that there is no one on earth that says, I don't have challenges with food. We all have something. We all have a challenge. I know I do. And I know everyone watching today probably has one as well, maybe multiple ones. We have to look at those challenges and figure out what is occurring to make those challenges, that monster come out, and how can we quiet the monster? So making peace with food is really big. Honoring your body. So if you're overweight or obese, is it advisable to lose weight? Absolutely. But you have to honor the body that was given to you and do it in a way that is structured, safe, and healthy. And then appreciating every bite. Now, how often have you sat down taking the fork and 888, and maybe the news is on, or maybe someone's talking to you about something. And before you know it, the meal is done, right? You're still hungry. You're not quite sure what you ate. You're not even sure if it tastes good. So intuitive eating is also about slowing it down, really taking the time that it takes to enjoy your food. And that means chewing. There's some studies that show that if you chew at least 40 times when you're eating, you're more likely to lose weight. And slower chewers are more likely to lose weight than faster chewers. We have to focus on that intuitive message of really embracing the food, maybe even stopping looking at our food and saying, where did this come from? I remember a few years ago, I had the opportunity to go out to the Napa region of California, and I was able to go and visit an almond farm. I'd never visited an almond farm before. It was kind of a cool experience. And I got to see everything they did to harvest the almonds, right? something I never thought of. I would buy some almonds at Costco and they'd be in a huge bag and I'd eat them or put them on my cereal or whatever the case may be. 
Never really thought about it. So I got to see the whole harvesting of how they shake them from the tree. They fall, they then separate them. And then I got to go into the plant where there were all these workers that were taking out all the little bits and pieces that shouldn't end up in that bag that I was going to pick up at Costco. And it was that moment where I had this deep appreciation for all of these farm workers that I had never thought of before. I haven't looked at an almond the same way since. And it's because I know what the backstory is now for the people that are making that almond come to my table. So that's part of intuitive eating. You sit there and you appreciate and think about the structure of how something arrived at the plate and being grateful for that. I feel that if you're more into intuitive eating, you are more likely to follow that eat until you're no longer hungry, not until you're full approach. Okay. So keep in mind when you're thinking about that. I've talked about this in the years previous when I've presented at this conference, but if you are not sleeping enough, good luck trying to lose weight. When we get less sleep than our body needs, our digestive hormones flip-flop. So ghrelin, which is supposed to tell you when you're hungry, stays on. And leptin, which is supposed to tell you when to stop eating, does not go on at all. So all day you have hungry, 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 and no message to the brain that you should stop eating. It's why if you've ever had an all-nighter or you're just up all night the night before, you don't want broccoli the next morning. You want a full pizza with pepperoni, sausage. You want the works, right? That hunger cannot be quenched. And so sleeping is a really important aspect. There's been some awesome presentations over the years at this conference just on sleeping. So sleeping plays a big role in weight loss. It really gets to a larger issue here of this last 10 pounds conversation. The last 10 pounds is not just about what we put in our mouth. Hopefully this presentation is showing that it's your sleep habits. It's all of those other things involved. It's whether or not you're choosing diet foods. So a lot of us still choose diet foods and think that they're going to be a great option. So whether that is using something like an artificial sweetener, which we've seen studies have shown to make us actually hungrier. Whether we're having something that does not have nutrient density, but has low calorie, like a frozen dinner, or whether or not we're relying on something like a detox shake. None of these work. So when you have ultra processed foods, even if they are labeled as diet foods, so the frozen diet meal is probably a great example of this. We actually eat more throughout the day. We have more hunger. We cannot control the cravings. None of these things work. The reason that people started using them is because they had less calories and that is it. So we need to, again, abandon that thought that calorie counting is going to be the key to being able to lose weight. Eating less food is the key to losing weight for sure. But that doesn't mean calorie counting because you have to look at all of these biological things that are occurring when you have that frozen dinner versus when I have this beautiful salad and a side of salmon. The body reacts differently to those two meals and the calories could be very different. So it's not about the calories. It's about eating less, being more intuitive, all of those structures. You could be hanging with the wrong crowd. So we've seen plenty of data that labeled obesity as contagious. Now, this is based on a strong study that came out about five years ago in the journal Lancet that found that your social circles had a huge impact on your ability to lose weight and your ability to keep it off. I remember once I was doing an appointment with someone and this person had brought in her husband and her goal was to become a vegan. That's what she wanted to do. And so of course I asked the husband, well, tell me how you eat. He was a huge meat eater, like meat all the time. And he still wanted her to cook meat, 
everything related to meat eating, right? And I said, your ability to be able to become a vegan is going to be really hindered by the fact that your husband is not even vegetarian. So not that everyone in the house or all your friends have to make these huge dramatic changes, but if people are way off on the spectrum, we have studies showing that you're less likely to be able to do that, okay? So those are important factors as well. And lastly, you might be following trends. Hey, keto looks great. That's a great example of a trend, but not necessarily following genetics. So I've talked briefly in some of my presentations at this conference about nutrigenomics, how it could possibly be the wave of the future because it does tap into personalized medicine. Ketogenic diet is a perfect example here in that we know that certain genetic types do not do well on high fat diets. They don't lose weight. In fact, they're more likely to gain weight. So again, if we really want to lose weight, knowing what our genetics are and how that could help with weight loss is always advisable. Here is your weekly schedule that we have. So tomorrow, I want you to start looking at your tribe, start redefining. What does your tribe look like? Do I have people that are enabling really bad habits in terms of eating? Do I have people that I've lost weight and perhaps they are still giving me negative comments? And that could be something like, oh, okay, you can have a cookie. Come on, you know, something like that. So an enabler or someone who just hasn't really supported weight loss efforts. So look at how your tribe is. Oftentimes to my patients, I will say, you know, I really want you to have a family meeting tonight and really talk about, here's my goals. Tell everyone in your family, here's what my goals are. How do you think you can help support me with these goals, right? I'm not asking all of you to have these goals, but what can you do to help me? And that can really help. Cleaning out the kitchen throwing out the diet food. So I had said in that slide that we want to eat food at least 90% of the time. So 90% of the time you're eating food, 10% is when you have the cookie, right? And you don't feel shameful about it. You don't beat yourself over the back about it. But food is defined by Michael Pollan as something that comes from nature, is fed from nature and will eventually rot. So go into that pantry, go into your fridge, go into the glove compartment, wherever you're hiding the food and go and figure out, okay, what is not food here? What can I get rid of? That's really not nourishing my heart, my body, my soul. Okay. That's a huge one. Set your eating schedule on day four. So that is think about the pattern in how you want to eat in terms of frequency. So this gets into time restricted eating and really just thinking about, okay, I'm going to start eating at 11 and I'm going to stop at seven every day. That's going to be my time frame. There are some studies that show that even if you don't change your food, simply changing the frequency in which you're eating can help with weight loss. So that's a big one. Enhance your sleep environment. So the sleep environment is really important. I've talked about that. I've talked about how important it is to get enough sleep. Stop counting everything and start fueling. So that's another big thing. So I always use the term fuel. My Instagram handle is fuel better with Chrissy because when you feel better, you feel better. There is a huge connection with mental health. But if we start changing the narrative and look at our food as fuel, we're more likely to lose those 10 pounds. No one is fueling with Cheetos. And it's not to say you can't have Cheetos, but that gets into your 10%. So it's not about just restricting everything and not having food you don't like, but it gets into the 10%. It's in the non-fuel bucket. 90% has got to be that fuel. And just to end with this presentation, I gave you some advice on things and I'm just giving you some advice. We all honor ourselves in different ways. This is how I honor myself. So I love to cook. I love to share pictures of things that I'm cooking. 
I live in Denver. And so I love going out to the mountains. I love really kind of tapping into the mindfulness. That's what does it for me is going out there and being able to be more in tune with nature. That actually helps my eating habits a little bit more. And of course, my family, right? Being able to really focus on your family and be with your family, that could be a real help. I know that when I have wanted to lose weight or eat better, I try and get my husband involved. I try and get my kids involved. They're picky eaters, so it's very challenging, but just having that family structure can really help as well. Thanks so much for joining me today. I hope I see you next year in person, but hopefully you got something great out of this. And remember, honor yourself, stick to that schedule, and be well, everybody. Thank you for joining us on Health Gig. We loved having you with us. We hope you'll tune in again next week. In the meantime, be sure to like and subscribe to this podcast and follow us on healthgigpod.com. I'm Trisha. And I'm Doral. Be well. To learn more on how to live a co-mindfulness life, visit comindfulnessproject.com.